Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Rebecca. Um, I'm in charge of hospitality, which means usually I delegate someone else to do this, and I forgot today, so here I am. Um, welcome to Regen. Um, We're really happy that you're here, and I'm not holding my mic high up enough. All right, so first things first, we have our marriage conference coming up in two weeks. Actually, it's a couples conference, so if you're dating, engaged, married, we would love to have you there. One of my best friends is coming, and I want you all to meet her, so... Um, also, please check in on Facebook if you are so inclined. We're going to be donating a small donation from each of those to our own Candace Cooper to go to Thailand. And lastly, circles are back in rotation. Um, so Tuesday, Wednesday, or if you're a student and you would like to come tonight or on another Sunday, we would love to have you. So talk to Randy or myself or Aaron or... I don't know, Joey and Julia. Talk to anyone who's semi in charge here and you'll be able to figure that out. All right? So, Jairus, um, we're going to be praying for our offering now. Good morning. All right, after we pray, I'm just going to pass these buckets down the row if, if you've never been here. And, and obviously, I, th- I think we've said it before don't, if you're new, don't feel obligated to give, but you're welcome to, to give. And just the challenges, I'm, I'm thinking about this quickly, just I kind of challenge you to look in, not just here and, and giving to church, but uh, about generosity, because that's something I've been looking at. If, I, if I've been generous, you know, how generous I'm, I'm being in my, my, with my money and my time. So let's keep that in mind. God, thank you so much for the gift of today and, and every breath that uh, we're taking is a gift. And, uh, Every person here is a gift. So we just thank you so much for uh, your grace and generosity that you've given us and help us to be generous uh, today and, and every day this week. And we just thank you so much uh, for, for what you're doing in our lives. Amen. Jesus, you are so worthy of our attention this morning. You are so worthy of our affection this morning. You have made us and we are yours. And so we bring you the places of disappointment and defeat. We bring you the places of worry and anger and wrath and invite you to speak over them. We invite you to speak over the places of pride. We invite you to speak over the places of self-provision. Lord, would you disentangle us from lesser things and give us a bigger vision of who you are. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, Kids can go back. Miss Renee and Miss Madison and Miss Kayla are going to be leading that back there. And uh, uh, if we've not met, by the way, my name is Kyle. I get to be the pastor here. I see some new faces in the room. I have been gone the last couple of weeks. My wife and I welcomed our first child into the world on the 19th of January, uh, which was long prayed for and long, uh, and long waited for. And I know you don't care about me, but, those are, but you do care about pictures of him. So there he is. <laughs> Um, there's, uh, the picture on the left was taken by Uncle Aaron Jesse, uh, who is birthday buddies with Jack. 
and we love him very much. He came into the world via C-section after about 36 hours of labor. And uh, we realized as it was going on, or better to say we realized after the fact that there were probably, it's not an exaggeration to say that there were close to about a thousand people that were kind of like left waiting and on the hook and sending anxious text messages back and forth wondering what the heck was happening. Same, same. We also were wondering what the heck was happening in the two days that we waited for him to come. And so there he is, mom's recovering from that well. Here's a couple more pictures. Um, that one on the left, he has a onesie that says, my daddy is the world's best pastor. I like to believe he's not crying because of like the sentiment on the shirt. Um, so he's doing great too. He likes it when we sing to him. He likes worship music a lot. Um, somebody said, oh, he's such a pastor's kid. He's not a pastor's kid. He's a kid that we're trying to raise like Jesus, okay? So he likes worship music, as all kids should. So that's cool. Um, Steph is our discipleship director, you know. Uh, she'll probably start sneaking her way back at this location sometime in March and maybe the other one a little later. Um, but we're going to take it. Fun fact, kids, babies do not have six weeks of natural immunity. Just like my wife did not have any heartburn, and yet he still has hair. So um, we're going to give him some time to build up his own immunity and for flu season to get behind us and then... He'll be here. Um, uh, like Rebecca said, our couples conference is coming up. Uh, it would be two weeks from yesterday, and I really just want to encourage you and implore you to be there. Um, I broke out of paternity leave just to send you all an email about that. Um, Bob and Pam McRae, who teach at Moody Bible Institute, who did our pre-marriage counseling, and obviously we have a perfect marriage, so wouldn't you want to learn from them? Uh, 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 they, uh, they'll be coming to lead that event. Last year it was really fun, so be planning, plan on being here from 9 to 4, lunch at Cockeyes Barbecue. If the $40 fee is a hindrance to not coming, please tell somebody and we'll figure out a way to work with you um, in that area, but we're really excited about that day. And a bad reason not to come is to say our marriage doesn't have any problems. That's a stupid reason not to come. Okay, a stupid reason not to come is if I go, people will think I'm in a bad relationship. People don't care that much about you. You know what I'm saying? So um, their world is not consumed by what's going on in your life. No, what the Bible talks about we reap what we sow and that when we reap into righteousness, when we sow into righteousness, we reap a harvest of righteousness. So when we sow truth into our marriages and into that most important relationship, we we. We reap that. We reap a more healthful relationship. So really excited about that. You don't have to be married to come, uh, but you do have to come as a couple. So don't come as one spouse and then go home and say, I have the solution to all of our problems because that will send you to marriage counseling faster than anything. And how do I know? Is because it happened last year. So... Um, <laughs> So we're in this series called Practicing the Way. Really excited to be back with you guys. Uh, I'm, I'm testing out kind of something. I've just preached this, and as I was driving up, I thought, Lord, I hope there's enough grace in this sermon, because it's a pretty high challenge. And I think we recover grace at the end. Jesus operates on a spectrum from invitation to challenge. We're really notched high on the challenge. You have a high challenge pastor. You also have a challenged pastor, so pray for him. And... Uh, uh, by the way, shout out to Aaron and to Zach, who preached the last couple of weeks. They both did excellent. Um, we really like elevating people to use their gifts, uh, and they don't need to have gone to 10 years of schooling or anything to do that. We just want to set people free to use what God's given them, and Aaron and Zach both really have that gift of teaching and insight, and I was really 
Uh, just thankful for both of them. I'm going to go on paternity leave for another three weeks this summer, so you may hear from one or both of them, or anybody else in our community again. So uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to kind of be all over the place a little bit today. Uh, so I'm doing more teaching than I am preaching. We're kind of teaching through some concepts for the next few weeks. We'll actually dive into a whole book at a time. We went through a long season of like Netflix binging one book of the Bible at a time. We haven't done that in a while. So we're going to start binging the books of First and Second Samuel um, around Mother's Day and in and out of that over the next year and a half. But First uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Um, you know that I am tired when I flip my words like a drunk person. And I'm doing it all the time now because I, we're changing diapers left and right. So here's my question this morning. How do we change? How do we change? And I mean like really, really change as we experience the freedom and the forgiveness that the gospel offers, that Jesus promises us. There's this verse in the New Testament that says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. My question as I read this is like, really? Are you sure? If anyone is in Christ, if you have stepped across the line of faith, the old has passed away, the new has come. I read this and I think, are you really sure? I began what you would call a personal relationship with Jesus at a very, very young age, due mostly to my grandparents, Bob and Sue. Uh, my grandma passed away about three weeks ago. Thanks, by the way, for the cards and the texts. Um, weird, weird 48-hour period where my grandmother died on Friday the 18th at 4.15 a.m., and Jack came on Saturday the 19th at 8.18 p.m., right? We brought him home on the day that would have been her 80th birthday. So my one-week-old baby was at my, his great-grandmother's funeral. So strange right? I don't know how, I've done it once, I still don't know how to navigate the high, high and the low, low at the same time. I'll get back to you and I do. But my grandma and grandpa, I've just been thinking so much about it, were so involved in my faith life growing up so that by the time I have any memories, I understood what it meant that Jesus loved me, that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus rose again, that my sins were forgiven. I always kind of understood the basic scope of what the gospel's about, my grandparents were super involved at a church in Newton Falls, the first church of God in Newton Falls. And uh, uh, Rebecca Anderson and I have like some connection to that too. And um, so my grandma was involved. So that meant accompanying them to things um, a lot. My grandma, check this out, 80s moment coming in hot. My grandma had a desk in the foyer of the church. She called it her desk where she like sold and collected orders for tapes of the sermon, not CDs. Not podcasts, but like cassette tapes, man, flip halfway through to get the rest of the sermon. And uh, so I, I, this is in an era before child protection policy and like worrying about any of this, I got to leave, like when class was over, I got to leave class on my own and meet grandma at her desk. I know, right? Like (laughs) church kids are like, whoa, right? And if you're not church, you're like, this is stupid. So anyway, uh, my grandma just invested in me so much. Uh, and then when I was in eighth grade, I have three younger brothers, seven, twins that are seven years younger, another brother that's eight years younger than me. My mom had three boys under the age of one within a year. So like church attendance got spotty like the rest of our lives did. And so I'm in eighth grade. My grandma calls my mom and says, you need to get this boy in church. 
that was on a Monday and on Wednesday, I was in youth group where I would then grow up uh, suddenly in Harry and Kathy's house and Caitlin would be something like my little sister. It's a weird kind of version. And a lot of you remember me at that church in the most best way possible as the VBS motions guy. Awesome. Uh, yes. So I have been following Jesus really intently since 2003. So that's over a decade and a half where it has been my heart's intention and my life's highest goal to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. It's been my goal to be a disciple, not because I'm a professional Christian as a pastor, not because of any of that, simply because Jesus has possessed my heart in that way that I want to chase after that. And yet, a decade after I've, more than a decade after I've put my faith in Jesus, there are still some parts of me, still some parts of my shadow side that are still there. I may know more about theology and the Bible and how to help others grow spiritually now than I did 10 years ago. 10 years of biblical higher education is going to do that. I have more time available to me than many people might have to focus on spiritual things, to wake up in the morning and pray and read my Bible. I mean, in theory, that's kind of my job, right? Uh, and, and yet, there is still sin that hangs on. There are desires of my heart that have yet to be tamed. There are inclinations to pride and boasting and defensiveness that seem permanent. I can't help but want others to notice me, to spend time building a reputation for myself. I want to accrue knowledge. Yeah, to be a good teacher. Yeah, to help people understand the Bible, but also so I can be the smartest person in any room. There are many mornings Many more mornings than I would like to admit that my Bible goes untouched, that my time in prayer is brief and distracted. And so I read this verse, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, the oldest passed away, the new has come. I, for one, and I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only one, I would love to see the new get here faster and the old go away quicker. And this tension of the already of our faith and the not yet, where I'm still waiting for God to move and show up and transform me, that is the heart behind this series, Practicing the Way. How do I activate and experience the transformation of Jesus? How do I activate and experience the forgiveness and freedom that Jesus promises us in Scripture? It's, it, it's a series about assuming the Bible is true. Assuming that the Bible is true, not that the Bible is optimistic or hyperbolic, but the life of the apostles and the life of the early church, that the very life of Jesus is normative for us. It's about making transformation the, the, the very nature of our going to work, raising our kids, having a marriage, being in a family, eating and drinking kind of life. It is about becoming practitioners of the way of Jesus about making that transformation real and practical and ongoing. Jesus talks about practicing his way, and he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Peter, the first among equals of all of the disciples, of all of the apostles, says in 2 Peter chapter 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. 
Paul puts it this way. Paul says, and this is our verses out of Philippians, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Paul planted this church, so he lived and worked among them and was present with them, coaching them, walking with them as they grew to be more like Jesus. But then he left, and he's writing them a letter. He said, listen, you were obeying then. Even more now that I'm gone, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Other translation would say, creating both the desire and the strength to do what pleases him. Now, just a quick footnote. Notice that Paul says, work on your own salvation, friends. Longer you're in church, the better you are at working on somebody else's salvation other than your own. Eyes on your own paper. Okay, please. Okay. Bible says, confess your sins to one another. It does not say confess someone else's sin to another, right? Eyes on your own paper. What Paul is talking about here is applying effort to our spiritual life. Because here's what happens. When we first come to Christ, we experience rapid transformation. I mean, it's explosive. It's quick. And a mentor of mine kind of said, he said, I don't know if this is biblical, but he said, this is my experience. And I think it's my experience. I bet it's yours too. When you start trying a new discipline spiritually, maybe when you start getting serious about prayer, even maybe when you first start following after Jesus, everything is way easier than it is actually going to be in real life. Right? Start practicing the discipline of silence. Man, I am really being with God. Then three days go by and you're like, what's that? Like squirrel, right? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible. I'm going to read my Bible. And so you start, you, you start in January with Genesis, Exodus. There's like fire and plagues. It's really interesting. Then like end of February, beginning of March, you hit Leviticus. Out the door, right? Like done. <laughs> Everything seems easier at first. And that's because Jesus wants to throw us a slow pitch that we can hit out of the park early on. But then he wants us to kind of take up some responsibility as we grow up spiritually to participate in the redemption and reconciliation of our souls. That's what Paul's pointing out when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But good news, it's not all on you. There is grace that is supplied to us. There is a friendship with Jesus that is supplied to us such that even as we're working out our own salvation, God works within us to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love new Christians because over time, what they liked at one point, they don't like anymore and they can't explain why that is. It is because God is working in you to will and to work to his good pleasure, to cause you to want what pleases him, to have strength for what pleases him, And it's a marriage of these two things, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling alongside of God who works in you. That is what it means to practice the way of Jesus. But what we have lost along the way is an appreciation for the idea of effort. Dallas Willard says, the gospel is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. The gospel is opposed to earning. It is not opposed to effort. See, in the Reformation, there was this explosive growth in the church where we recognize it is not up to me to pull myself up by my bootstraps, to work really hard, to earn God's affection. No, grace is supplied to me. Salvation is by, through Christ alone, by faith alone, and by grace alone. And that grace means that I don't have to work for it. And so what we did is we threw the baby out with the bathwater and we said, because I don't have to earn anything, I must not have to work for it. Because I don't have to earn anything, I must not have to work for it. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls this cheap grace. Art and Pam are thinking, he did this very differently last time. Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls that cheap grace. When we abandon effort in our spiritual life, when we kind of just float by in this nether of I'll do what I want to do and let grace cover it, Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls that cheap grace. He says, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap Jack's wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sins, and the consolations or comforts of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without, cri- without cost. Cheap grace means the justification of, the si- of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything, they say, and so everything can remain as it was before. Well then, let the Christian live like the rest of the world. Let him model himself on the world's standards in every sphere of life and not presumptuously aspire to live a different life under grace from his old life under sin. Let him live as the rest of the world. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, it is imperative for the Christian, and I have this quote near the very end, Dan. Uh, It is imperative for the Christian to achieve renunciation to practice self-effacement, to distinguish his life from the life of the world. Renunciation is an old, an old school word that means I'm going to renounce sin, I'm going to push it away and choose a different way. Self-effacement means self-discipline. He says it's imperative that we seek after costly grace that assists us in distinguishing our life from the life of the world, and yet... we spiritually walk away from all this and say, I am under grace, not under the law, Forgetting that Paul says, shall we go on sinning that, may, that grace may abound? Paul goes so far as to say, the Greek is meganoito, which means H-E double hockey sticks, no. By no means. This, this distinguishing our life from the life of the world, this renunciation, this self-effacement and self-discipline is, is another word for the working out of our salvation with fear and trembling. It is another word for practicing the way of Jesus. It is another word for experiencing the change the gospel promises us. So how do we experience it? How do we experience it? Dallas Willard, um, a guy who mentors me, though he has been dead five years. Dallas Willard was a giant. He writes in his book, Renovation of the Heart, that often God does his most important work and we only recognize it in retrospect. That's what happened with Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard taught at UCLA. He uh, uh, was teaching philosophy, also writing a lot on discipleship, almost totally ignored until like the last five years before he died. And then the church woke up to this realization, like we're not actually making apprentices of Jesus. We're just making well-fed, complainy Christians. We probably need to train people to be missionaries more. How do we do that? Dallas Willard is the one who, as he's writing, we always recognize God's best work in hindsight, like literally has been recognized in hindsight. Dallas Willard in his book, the Div- in a book called The Renovation of the Heart, which is what we're talking about. We're talking about the renovation of the heart, not the redecoration of the heart. See, a lot of us want our life to remain the same, but we'll just decorate it with Hobby Lobby Bible verses and go to church every once in a while. What Jesus is interested in is in the renovation of the heart, the renovation of our inmost self so that it becomes like the inmost self of Jesus. And Dallas Willard says, this is how we achieve this. Dallas Willard, he calls it vim, vim, 
He says, if we are to be spiritually formed in Christ, which by the way, you can be, you're being spiritually formed all the time. If you watch the Super Bowl, that was an act of spiritual formation. You're being spiritually formed all the time. If we are to be spiritually formed in Christ, we must have and must implement the appropriate vision, intention, and means. Not just any path we take will do. And that's what we tend to do. We'll just take any path, and it's very helter-skelter. If this vim pattern is not put into place properly and held there, Christ simply will not be formed in us. Listen, Dallas Willard is trying to capture the essence of Scripture. Other people could do it different ways. I like Dallas's way. I'm trying to give us a working theory of change. And by the way, if you're a parent, V-I-M, vision, intention, means, also expresses how we parent kids. Okay, it's going to be really helpful. Um, we're tr- I'm trying to give us a working theory of change. For us to be formed in the image of Jesus, we have to have vision, intention, and means. For us to change in any way, we must have the appropriate vision, intention, and means. So say, for example, I want to start working out, and I want to look like, is that his name Chris Hemworth? Okay, I want to look like Thor. Okay, I want to have that V thing above my jeans. Not like a U. You know what I mean? I want a different letter there. So, I, I wanna, I, so that's the vision. I don't want to just be a little thinner. I want to be like a V shape, you know? And uh, sorry, I said that. I'm kind of embarrassed now. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Um, I want that. Well, listen, that vision is easy to attain because the means are all around me. I have means left and right. There's a gym five minutes over that way. It can trumble. It's a little janky and kind of makes you feel like you might die there, but it's fine other than that. And uh, like half the machines work. And then um, uh, there's like, you know, like there's all this stuff I could do online. I mean, there were a lot of good advertisers for that Peloton, right? Like around Christmas. That looks interesting. There's this one now called like the mirror where I'm like, that looks weird. Uh, bonus, we have a strength and conditioning coach in our midst, Zach Byler, owner of Byler Elite Strength Training. Uh, happens to be a good friend of mine. I mean, I could say to Zach, I have before, hey, send me a program, da, 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 da. I start doing that. The vision and means, they're right there for me. The issue is my intentions. The issue is my intention. <laughs> Here's what the truth is. I really like Netflix. I really like eating. I really like eating while I watch Netflix. (laughs) A lot of you guys have been bringing food over, and bringing food over has meant like, why provide one meal when we could provide seven, right? And uh, there's always desserts, and it's awesome, and uh, some lady at Grace put her hand on my tummy and said, you know, after the baby comes, we're all supposed to get smaller. And... uh, (laughs) Yeah, I know. This is, this is the problem when people feel like they're parenting you, right? So the question, <laughs> I just missed you guys. It's vision and intention and means brought together. And we see actually vision, intention, and means happens in scripture all the time. So like Jesus is talking about uh, following him. Uh, show me that Luke passage, Dan. I think it's the next one. So he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, well, there's the vision, being a follower of Jesus. He then says, talks about the means. You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you want to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you want to give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Well, I'm a fan of saving my life. There's some vision again. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? What, are the, what is the intention? Give, give up your own way, take up your cross daily. Right, right. I was hoping like if I came to church, some of you are like new to church and that's awesome. You've been to church like twice in the last month and you're like, guys, I'm super into this Jesus thing. And you are, and you are. It just keeps going though, right? Because it says, take up your cross daily. 
Here's another verse from Paul. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. That's the vision. Possessing the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He also has a vision down here, uh, receiving the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. This is a great vision. I want to receive the prize at the end of the race. I, I want to I possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus took possession of me. So what are Paul's means? Pressing on. What are Paul's means? Forgetting the past and looking forward to lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race. There's an intention to that. He says press on twice. Right? There's, an, there's a vision that he wants to chase down. There's an intention that he brings. There's means to it. Bringing these three things together, vision, intention, and means, are how we change into the image of Jesus. Most, if not all, of our spiritual struggles come down to a disconnect of vision, intention, and means. Most, if not all, of our spiritual ruts point to a disconnection of vision, intention, and means. Let's think about vision for a second. Vision has to do with what we're seeking after. Jesus asked the question, what do you want? Our wants, our desires, they clue us into the vision that we're seeking after, which is why having a clear vision of Jesus is vital. It's why we worship as a church. It's why we sing. Songs, those songs expand our vision of God. It doesn't matter if you like the music or not, I don't really care. We're saying true things about who God is back to him. That expands our vision because A.W. Tozer says the most important thing about any person is what comes to mind when they think about God. We want to have a clear vision of that. And, and I want to be clear about something. We want to be chasing after Jesus as our vision, not something Jesus adjacent, right? So I think a lot of us are chasing after Jesus or running in that direction. But if we got really honest with ourselves, we're not running to Jesus. We're running to this thing that we see like over Jesus's shoulder, like healing or provision or security or family. We need to chase after Jesus and Jesus only. That, that's the vision. A person who is addicted to pornography, there's, I mean, sin has hijacked their intention in a real way but they also need to cultivate a vision for what their life would be like without pornography. A person who hasn't ever shared his faith with a friend or a neighbor has a faulty vision of the gospel. A person struggling with anxiety has a darkened vision of the Father's provision and protection. And so we fight for a clearer vision of who God is. Scripture says in Psalm 27, 4, I'm asking God for one thing, only one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll study at his feet. Vision. Means have to do with taking up the measures offered to us by God and lived out in the life of Jesus to take on that transformation and accomplish that vision. This is the word of, for spiritual practices. We look at the things that Jesus did in his life, and if he is our vision that we are trying to become, then we're going to take on those means to achieve the vision. Jesus practiced a Sabbath. He rested I want to practice rest. Jesus seemed to invest himself and digest the scriptures. I want to do that. Jesus separated to go pray and be with the Father. I want to do that. Jesus had a, had a passion for the least, the last, and the loss. Here's a big one. Jesus seemed to have supernatural ability to heal people. My suspicion is it is open to us a supernatural ability to heal people. Jesus had an ability to know things about people that he didn't, wouldn't have otherwise known. 
partially because he's God, but also if we have the mind of Christ, we can tap into that. We're talking about the means that help us achieve the vision. Now, other means are important. Accountability and community help keep us accountable to having a good vision. Thus, circles, we're big fans of spiritual direction and sometimes counseling because we need to clear sometimes um, our trauma, sometimes the crap that's happened to us um, gets in the way and obscures our vision of Jesus. So th- therapy kind of pushes that stuff out of the way so we can see him more clearly. Spiritual direction helps us pay attention to what God is doing in our midst so we can hear from him. We need those means. Lastly, we need intention. This is the tricky one. This is the tricky one. What does intention mean? Intentionality. It has to do with how we spend our time. It has to do with how we spend our money. It has to do with our calendars. Take a look at the words you say. Look at who you spend your time with and you'll begin to get a a sense of your intentionality. Our intention is measured by how we spend our time. Annie Dillard says how we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives. And we love the word someday. Someday I'll do this thing. Someday I'll do that thing. And so we kind of play around in the simpler things and we never actually get to where we want to be. But intention says I'm taking hold of this. Intention is the missing piece. Intention is the missing piece if I'm going to become like Chris Hemsworth. Intention is the missing piece when someone is struggling financially. There's plenty of resources on how to live financially wisely. Dave Ramsey, there's a million Instagram accounts that you could follow. Uh, What comes down to is, am I going to make it my intention to stop buying things that I can't afford on credit cards? Period. I mean, it's, 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 it's an intention thing, right? I talk to people a lot who are dealing with some, side, some sort of anxiety. And I want to talk about anxiety maybe in a general sense and not in an acute clinical sense. But we have a lot of, I, I meet people that have some experiences of depression and anxiety. The means to change are readily available. But they just never pick up the phone. People are, this is, by the way, this is footnote, why we have a marriage conference, right? We want to paint a picture of a vision of what your marriage could look like and healthy and thriving and sustainable and great. A means as a marriage conference, our intentionality falls apart when we decide that we like the kind of non, non-stop conflict as opposed to kind of moving forward. It is, always, it is always coming down to our intentionality a lot. And I spend a lot of my time, I spend a lot of my time talking to Christians whose first words to me are an apology. I'm really sorry I wasn't in church. Hey, I, I know I should be in a circle. Hey, I know I signed up to do this thing, but it is not my job to pressure your intentions one way or the other. I can lay it out, our team, we can lay out options, we can set out paths, we can put out a menu. It ultimately comes down to your intentions or not. And our intentions ultimately show us a vision, our intentions ultimately reveal the vision that we're chasing. I'm sorry I wasn't in church. Well, you weren't nowhere. You were literally existing elsewhere. And in that moment and in that hour of time, you decided that chasing a different vision was better. How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And overall begins to reveal that there is a greater and stronger vision that has taken hold of your heart than Jesus. But when the vision is clear, 
our intention kind of rises and we joyfully take on means of grace to experience more and more of that vision and chase it down. We're going to unpack more of this next week or the week after, I think maybe next week, but what sin tries to hijack most of all is our intentions. That's what sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil, which are kind of like the three faces of sin, want to hijack your intentions. They do, Satan does not care if you have a beautiful and compelling and clear vision of who Jesus is. Satan does not care if you own five Bibles, have a Spotify worship list that you listen to sometimes. What he cares about is directing your intentions elsewhere. Because if he can direct your intentions away from Jesus to the American dream, to the idolatry of family, to financial security, all of the rest becomes decoration and we've stopped renovating our heart and we're just redecorating it. The engine of our church, if you're interested, the engine of our church is this VIM paradigm. We want to be a church that expands your vision, that increases and, and develops and trains our intentions, and equips us with means to be transformed in the image of Jesus. The equipping with the means makes the most sense. We offer circles in children's ministry and marriage conferences. We're doing a parenting event on Thursday, October the 24th with Paul and Ellie McConaughey in this building in the evening. It's gonna be great. Um, the means are plentiful, right? We present a vision through worship. This is why we're constantly looking for new songs because we want to expand our vocabulary of who God is. And it's okay that you're not like the hand-raising, like bring it on worship type. But we want to expand our categories for who Jesus is so that we have a clear and clear vision of him. And we want to train our intention. We want to be a church that calls your intentions to be loyal to Jesus, right? We want to, we want to call your intentions to be loyal to Jesus. And I would say the primary vehicle through which we shape intention is through preaching, um, I don't, one day I will no longer be your pastor and you will not remember a lot of the things I preached to you. But what will have happened, I hope, is that God's word will have under the sur surface of your life shaped your intentions to be loyal to Jesus. That's the value of teaching and preaching. This is honestly at the core why we're hosting a marriage event, right? We want to cast a vision for a beautiful marriage. Beautiful weddings are easy. Beautiful marriages are harder. We want to provide you a simple means. Give me one of your 52 Saturdays. Give me seven hours of your one of your 52 Saturdays to be at this event and align your intentions with the heart of God for your marriage. Boom. So our practice for this week, <clears throat> some homework, if you will. I think it would be helpful to get Philippians 12, 2, 12 and 13 internalized, not just memorized, but internalized. So read that passage in multiple translations every day to get a sense of the cooperation that God is calling you to in practicing the way of Jesus. And then maybe reflect on these three questions. We'll post this on our social media and stuff too, but first, what vision is motivating me? Is it Jesus or is it Jesus and something else? And if you would like to know more about Jesus and, listen to our sermons from the month of December. Are my intentions limiting or aiding my pursuit of Jesus? You know, I meant to come to this thing, but. Which means am I employing to chase Jesus, if any? This can just be a helpful list. 
I've been reading my Bible. I'm doing a devotional. I like this Bible reading plan on the Bible app. I listen to Christian radio in, the, in my car. I listen to other sermons. I, a, guy, a guy at Grace Church says, um, he says, you know, sometimes when I get in my wife's car and I turn it on, it's your voice coming out of the car, and I try not to think that's weird or anything. Um, she's, been, she's newer at Grace, so she's gone back to like as early as she can and just been listening to all the sermons I've preached. I'm just really important, I know. But what are the means? What are the means? And I, and I want to be clear about something. The so what of this sermon, and this is where I'm asking, I'm wondering if there's not enough grace in this sermon. The so what of this sermon is not, okay, team, grab yourselves by your bootstraps, you know, pull yourself up by your big boy underpants, put on some dungarees and do some work, as my friends once said. Dungarees, are those jeans? Oh, overalls, there you go. See, thank you, great. Hi, I'm from Cortland. Never. All the Southington people are like, hello, you know. Um, it's not pulling up yourself by your bootstraps. That's not the gospel. The gospel is salvation in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. But I think we can get so worried about avoiding earning that we lose this appreciation and an appetite for and a pursuit of faithful grace-infused effort. We fall to the tyranny of cheap grace. And so church, there is grace as we pursue vim, as we seek out change. We are empowered by the gospel to say, I would like to put this part of me to death. We are empowered by the gospel to say, I'm going to stop this and start this. We are empowered by the gospel to take up ownership for our change. But it's not just us working out our salvation with fear and trembling, crossing our fingers that something will really happening, that will really happen. It is actually this. It is working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, trusting and celebrating and resting in the fact that behind the scenes of taking on these means, even when they're not life-giving and fun and exciting, that taking on these means and aligning my intention and pursuing a vision, that even in, the, in with and under that, that God himself is endeavoring on our behalf to cause us to love what he loves and do what he would do. And there is grace for us and this is why we come back to it at this table. This is more than a remembrance. This is a meal that feeds our pursuit of a vision. It is a meal that pursues our vision. So I'm going to give you like 45 seconds just to open yourself up to God to get back here. And then we're going to receive communion together and celebrate that. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you are patient with us. Thank you so much that you are kind to us, that when our intentions don't line up to what we say, that when our lives don't line up to where you are, God, you come alongside of us and you show us a more excellent way. Thank you for that. Thank you that you endeavor beside us. I think about the people in our community that have broken free from the chains of pornography. I think about the people in our community that are working earnestly to break free of the chains of debt. Think of the people working hard to break free of the chains of anxiety and depression. And I thank you that we do not just kind of hope that you will one day show up, but that you invite us into a process to move towards you and to find freedom and to find forgiveness. We're so thankful. And so would you come at this meal, Lord Jesus? Would you um, bring, our, bring the fullness of yourself to this table? You always do. So that in the eating and drinking of this bread and this cup, we might taste your grace 
that you might continue to will and to work to our good pleasure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this as often as you do in remembrance of me. In the same way also later on in the supper, he took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you and for many in forgiveness of sins. Drink this as often as you do in remembrance of me. In John 6, Jesus frames this meal as more than, more than just a ritual. He says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have life. That's what's at this table for us is life. So the way that we receive communion at Regen uh, is pretty simple. You'll come forward. Somebody will rip off a piece of the bread. You dip it in the cup as if it were a nacho. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We believe that grace is given. It's not taken. And so someone hands that to you. Um, I need three people to help me serve communion. Come at me. One. Two. We have gluten-free, too, if you need that. So that's here if you've never done that. Here's this guy. Oh, you don't need that. Your cup, you're good. You're good. Your hands can be gross. Okay. Your hands can be fresh. Good job. So, Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ, that they might be a rich and satisfying meal that expands our vision of who you are to us, that aligns our intentions, and that this might be a means of grace and encountering you today. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. The table is ready. Paul says, what I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you, God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. Y'all, may grace cover you and follow you and be what you pursue this week. I love you so much. We'll see you soon.